Hello, everyone, and welcome to the World of Presentation podcast brought to you by us at 356 Labs. My name is Boris. I'm the founder of the company, but I'm not important at all during this podcast because today I have as a guest somebody who completely changed the way I and our whole team here at 356 Labs thinks about story and storytelling. Today, uh, here with us in this episode is Mr. Kendall Heaven, who is author of many, many books, I would say, uh, but one of them for sure is way, way more interesting, or at least it was way, way more interesting to me, which was the so-called story proof book. I cannot say anything else, but welcome you to the podcast. So... I really don't know where to start from, <laughs> but first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I was waiting for this for a long, long time. We also talked with you because you are going to join Present to Succeed, the conference right. in April. You will have a session there talking about story, storytelling, etc. But you also deliver a four-hour workshop that's right. already almost sold out. Now... I want to kind of probably start from a lot of people use the word storytelling, mm -hmm. but are they using it correctly? What do they mean? What are you seeing there? Let me change the word correctly to constructively. Okay. Uh, people have used the word story and storytelling for millennia. Okay. Uh, first, take the word storytelling. Okay. There are two halves to that word. Story is a noun. Story is a thing. It's a physical asset. Companies uh, should treat the word story like they treat any other valuable asset. You can hoard it, save it, sell it, rent it, invest in it. Uh, it is an incredibly effective stories are an incredibly valuable company asset. Okay. Telling is a verb. It's an interactive process. Many people think, well, if I put it on a video or if I write it in an article, no, it's not really interactive. It never changes. But what does change is each individual's experience of receiving the story. So yeah. that the process of conveying a story, that is to say the telling part, yeah. is always an instantaneous interactive process. Okay. The two are totally separate. The concerns, the issues, the, the variables that you control when you're developing story are different than those that develop, that you use and con are concerned with when you work on the telling side. They're both important, but they are separate. Now, okay. when we use the word story, um, most people think of, things that begin with once upon a time or things that are child that are childish or for children. Yeah. Um, people often think of story as being fiction. Okay. N none of those are true. People have been trying to define story. Those who, who write stories for, for thousands of years, what occurred to me and what I was able to research was not 
trying to define story by looking at stories. Yeah. But define story by what happens inside the mind of the person who receives the story. Yeah. If you're trying to tell a story, especially for a purpose, part of either internal or external for your company, you always have a purpose. There's something you're trying to do. You're trying to exert influence. You're trying to change someone's attitude, someone's behavior, change their attitudes, beliefs, their values. Um, and all that matters to accomplish that is what happens inside the head of the person who receives the story. Yeah. So we started to research story, not by looking at stories, but by looking inside the mind and brain of the receiver. So how did you do that? Because in uh, Storyproof, you write, like I just, I missed to say, probably I had to say that Storyproof is probably the only book on the topic that is more or less, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, more or less 100% based on research. Yes, I more agree. With, well, there's, there's one other book, and that's the follow-on book to Storyproof that I wrote in uh, about five years later. After Storyproof came out, yeah. that laid the basis. What that established is I gathered together research from, from 16 different fields of science and said, is there any evidence that we already have that says the human brain is hardwired to make sense of incoming information in, in story terms? Yeah. What we're able to say is, yeah. <laughs> we, your brain is hardwired to it. Now, what that actually means is that before information actually ever gets to your conscious mind, before you're consciously aware of it at a subconscious level, as part of initially making sense of that information, you have already shifted it into story form. Yeah. The form and structure of story lie between your conscious mind and the outside world. So that also means the conscious mind and memory of every person you're trying to affect, you're trying to reach, their conscious mind and memory uh, lie beyond story structure. Between okay. their sensory organs, eyes and ears, and their conscious yeah. mind lie that initial processing that among other things converts that information into story terms, makes sense of it in story terms. So. Once we were able to, to, to establish that, that then Frida actually was a, made me able to get some research dollars to go into EEG and fMRI labs, wire up audiences, so we could literally watch their brains and start to see how we go about processing incoming information. Yeah. And That's the how we make part. sense out of it. And then start to isolate what is it what are the specific informational elements okay. that control that process? Hmm. And that then told us what were these essential elements that need to go into the information? They all are elements of story. So yeah. it's what, what information your, your target audience is going to use to make sense of what you provide. Yeah. Now, yeah. what we find is if you don't actually provide or, or uh, overtly provide that information, they will, your audience will always make it up. Now, make it up is, is a harsh term. They'll infer it, they'll imply it. They'll take what they already know, their past experiences and suggest what, it, what would fill in those missing gaps. Yeah. 
here's what we find. When we research it, the, when people have to infer missing information, particularly things like what someone is after, a goal, why that goal is important to them, motive, they tend to automatically infer goals and motives that are far more self-serving, far more narcissistic than actually is the case. Why should you care? Because we find that in all cultures where being narcissistic and totally self-absorbed are negatives, as soon as your audience, only because you didn't tell them exactly what the goals and motives were of say a division in your company or a new policy, uh, they infer these ones that are much more negative and therefore associate that negativity with the source of the information. And so turn against you and against the company and against the, the, the yeah. new policies. Um, so we find that ignoring or not being consciously aware of these elements winds up being a, a very significant block to effective communication. Yeah. So let's, we, I think that from those two or three cent or more sentences that you mentioned, we can fill in the whole episode because I map everything that you are saying based on the book right now. So let me quickly go back saying what you said about what people define or think about as story. In the book, you, you give examples of what people define as story or think a story mm -hmm. is and what you defined because you coined more or less a definition of story. So can we go back to this comparison, what people believe story is and what it turns out to be. And then let's define those components that you mentioned, okay. because you, you mentioned two of them already. Yeah. Back on uh, the definition. Well, when most people think of story, yeah, uh, I've done a lot of work in schools with parents and with teachers. And when they're yeah. coaching children to work on a story, the most common question that they ask of the child is, okay, what happens next? Okay. That's an event-based question. Okay. It's asking for what happens next. It is the surest way to coach someone to create a boring, ineffective story that exists. The myth is that stories are about what happens. They are not. Stories are about characters. Okay. Fiction stories, nonfiction stories, all stories are about characters. Yeah. For the target audience. What it's does the target audience care about? They care about the characters, what they were after, why they were after it. And then they want to know how does that character have to struggle in order to reach that goal? And then they want to know, do they get it or don't they get it? Yeah. What, so the, the, the myths about stories being fiction. Well, there are many fiction stories. There are many stories that are dead on true. I've written oh, 14 books now, collections of historical stories that I've researched and written that are all factually true. Um, most of the stories that people tell to their friends and family are in fact, factually true stories. Mm. And yet we think about stories as something that you do when you're trying to spin 
an event when you we tend to think about we tend to think about stories as the myths uh, one of the big myths about story actually as best i can historically track it started in england okay we tend to make sense of things by setting up paradigms of, of diametrically opposed elements black yeah. and white hot and cold once we establish those two then you can fill in in between and you can fill in any, you can even fill in beyond hot and say scalding. You can fill in beyond cold and say freezing. And it makes sense because we have those two anchor points. Yeah. Opposite, opposite anchor points. At some time, sometime shortly after the, 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 the Renaissance in England, there was an effort made to define story by setting up that kind of a paradigm. Okay. Will you tell me what's the opposite of story? Someone would probably say a fact or something But like this. Facts are or a non-story. Yeah, we don't <laughs> have the, we don't the have English that. language. <laughs> actually, there isn't a language on earth. I, I can't verify that because there are a number of languages I don't know. Uh, but of the major languages on earth, there isn't one that includes a word for non-story. Yeah. And so what happened in England, and I don't think it was a conscious effort, it just sort of, it apparently just happened over time, was that story started to get paired with other paradigms that it could set up, truth versus fiction, fact versus lie. And mm. for whatever reason, story began to be associated with fiction and with lies. Mm -hmm. I have been, I've tried to work with children who told me that they weren't allowed to make up, their father said they, they weren't allowed to make up stories. Well, okay. what the father meant was you're not allowed, you know, we don't, you're not allowed to lie. But yeah. what the words that came out of the father's mouth were, you are not allowed to tell stories. So okay. in yeah. many, most of the Western cultures, those myths persist at a subconscious culture-wide level and they distort the value Our, re our recognition of the value of story because we miss the incredible power that stories can exert and actually do exert. So what is okay. a story? What is yep. a story? Let me add in a word to the definition, an effective story. Okay. All right? uh, an effective story is one that's character-based. Yeah. It is a character-based presentation of a character's struggles to reach a goal that's important to them by trying in those struggles to overcome problems and conflicts that create significant risk and danger for the character, all yeah. presented in sufficient sensory detail so that the receiver can visualize the events and the characters in their minds. Yeah, that one is when I read this, I don't know whether or not it was exactly in the book in this exact words, but it was very close, very, like close. very close. Yeah, very close. When I read this, I more or less freezed and stopped and I was like, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Let me read that again to myself. Let me think about this. Let me kind of internalize what I just read because when you read such a definition, you then say, wait a minute, obviously we are going to kind of cover the components that you mentioned, but then you kind of ask yourself, wait a minute, when we were building those stories or when we were telling those stories for our customers, did we 
actually do we match that definition do we is our thing that we built actually based on that because that was the moment when i was like wow i have never ever heard anybody define it you i believe you also gave some examples of how other people define it but that definition is yeah. like so complete by its nature because you include all of the components in it that it makes it so easy i believe for everybody if they just stop and think about it and they say wait a minute is my story is there a character in my story yes or no from there do i describe the sen- the sensory details yes or no so that pe- people can picture that in their heads right do so I, what are yeah do we include the struggles do it so many so many are there struggles are at all afraid. there always are there always are I, I i work with companies a lot who say no 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 we we don't want to we don't want to talk about the exactly about the exactly same we with just, our customers. we just want to say we just want to say well you know um we had this all's going good and we and and we succeeded and the question is yeah. then well then why did you have to spend 10 million dollars and hire a thousand people to do it if, if it was that easy so is that easy yeah. why didn't you do it on your own <laughs> over a weekend well the answer is that every company every organization struggles mightily all the time what yeah. they don't get is that in order to make your audience empathize with that is to say root for and begin to identify with and adopt the viewpoint of the company yeah they need to appreciate to see and appreciate the struggles yeah without the struggles it all sounds like you're bragging yeah and yeah turn exactly you every time we can go a little bit further even and say it's not just characters if again if we're talking about stories that that will be effective it's yeah. characters that you make relevant to and of interest to your target audience ah, yeah. so you got to think about what is it that makes a character be it uh, the the ceo of a company be it um you know just a a, a client Uh, of someone who receives the services of the company um be it any kind of a character named or left anonymous okay what is going to make that character be of interest to and relevant to your target audience so that they will be engaged by the story if they're not engaged by the story they will not be influenced by it and then you've just wasted your time by sharing the story Yeah. So let's let's go through the components because you kind of mentioned a few of them at the beginning. Now we through the definition. What I did by the way back then yeah. was when I saw the definition in the book itself, I came up with and I uh, took a marker, a color uh, marker and started underlining and coloring each of the words that made an impression on me. Character, go, motive, goes through obstacles to achieve an important goal and I was like marking the words I was like mm, that's very interesting and then I saw the components so what are those components that you that are part of the definition let's define them in a quick way there are really eight of them here's the good news every human being by the time they are two certainly okay. two and a half have already at a automatic subconscious process learned that these elements build the stories that work yeah and get you them what to... they want so that that none of these this isn't something like learning astrophysics 
where you have to go to school and learn things that you've never heard of before. Yeah. These are all there inside your mind, but not part of your conscious mind. Your conscious mind is not the only processor in your brain. In fact, it's the slowest processor in your brain. Okay. So anything that you can shove out of your conscious mind and handle with the subconscious processor, you do. Why? Much more efficient. Think of heart rate. Think they're controlling all of the functions of your body. You don't stop and think about those things. If you had to, you'd die because you'd never get it all done. They're all handled by subconscious processors. It's like tying shoes, shoelaces. Yeah. I'll guarantee you can tie a pair of shoelaces. I will also guarantee you could not right now write down in temporal sequential order what you do with each thumb and finger when you tie your shoelaces. Yeah. You can do it, but right, but you couldn't sit sit down and tell me how you do it because you no longer <laughs> handle that function in your conscious mind. Yeah. That's same thing has happened to your ability to tell stories. You can all do it, but you don't house that information in your conscious mind. So consciously, when you stop to think about it, you say, well, I don't know. Learning to be in a consistently effective storyteller is mostly about learning to dredge information out of your subconscious mind up to your conscious mind. You're looking for information that's already there. So the elements again, characters. Stories are all about characters. Well, what's a character? A character is, is, doesn't have to be a human being, but it is yeah. someone, it is something that can express itself, that has some kind of will, yeah. and has, at least in its own mind, the ability to exercise that will. Yeah. So a teacup, as long as it's a thinking, <laughs> talking teacup, can be a character in a story. Yeah. Um, what we find when we're looking at the way that the brain creates meaning from stories and makes sense out of stories is that there are certain character positions yeah. that you expect to find. Okay. In fact, that you insist that you find. Uh, again, this is all at a subconscious level. One of the courses, the main character. That's who the story is about. Yeah. The main character actually is that character whose goal is resolved at the end of the story. Yeah. Uh, By the but, way, can I, can I stop you here? Can, sure. Can we, can we think of the main character sometimes in the context of the world of presentations as the audience themselves? You can make, you can do a story. Yes, you can. Yeah. Um, you can make the, to do that, you, you have a couple of options. One is to talk the presentation in second person. Okay. So you're talking to the audience, you. Yes, yes, you exactly. That. That's, exactly. A, that, that's a very risky way to do it because as okay. soon as you say, you know, you walk down the hallway and you open the door to your office and someone says, no, I don't. Okay. As soon as they say, no, I don't once, they're gone. And it's very difficult then to pick them back up. But yes, you can do it. Okay. The other way is if you, you know uh, that part, let's say that part of your audience, yeah, a, the, a specific target audience that's there yeah. that may, maybe are uh, heads of HR. Yeah. Okay. Let's just say that, and you really want to do this to heads of HR. And you know, there are other people yeah. in the audience, but those are the guys you really want to reach. Yeah. So if you then do a story about 
an example person who's in HR, real or a composite, say, person, yeah. in their minds, they're going to do the story about themselves so yeah. that yeah. the story in their minds will be about themselves, even if you, the presenter, aren't saying you, you know, John Slobodnik, the H, head of HR for XYZ company. Exactly. Yeah. In their minds, they'll do that. So that yes. it becomes for them a first person story. So yeah. uh, it is possible. Main character generally then, uh, you know, it's possible to do all sorts of bizarre things. People who write novels for a living love to do convoluted things have uh, the main character also be the bad guy in the story, the antagonist. Okay, yeah. You can do that. You can have a, a number of different combinations. So main character, main character, yeah. that's who the story's really going to be about. That's who's, whose goal we care yeah. about. We'll talk about goal and moment and goal and motive we care about. The next one is the antagonist. Antagonist doesn't have to be even, um, it doesn't have to be a human being. It doesn't even have to be a character. Yeah. The antagonist is really the embodiment of the biggest single obstacle that blocks character from reaching goal in this story. So yeah. you have a whole lot of obstacles that someone has to overcome, but in this story that we're going to tell, you're going to pick one that becomes the antagonist. So you can have stories where social injustice, prejudice, uh, the coronavirus, yeah, a, a mountain, a storm, storm could be the antagonist. To make it a really effective antagonist, we have to treat that antagonist as if it were a sentient being that was out to block the main character from reaching the goal. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's two. Uh, there's one. There's one other physical character character position that we really care about, as it turns out, that no one had talked about until we identified this in, in the lab, the, the need for this character position. Let's call it the climax character. Okay. The question is, when it comes right down to it, who has the power in this story to make the story come out the way they want it to? Yeah. That may be the main character. It may not. Yeah. Um, it may. It, it, uh, but someone has the power to make it come out. And what we find is that audiences would hold the person that they thought, the character they thought was the climax character responsible if the character, if the story didn't come out right, not necessarily the antagonist. So main character, let's say, uh, a, 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 a company is struggling to create a virus for the for the coronavirus. I mean, a, a vaccine for the coronavirus. Yeah. All right, and we're going through all the struggles and all the struggles. Um, and there's another company that's also trying to create a vaccine who sneaks in and sabotages the work of our company. Okay. Think, oh, that's the antagonist. How cruel. At the end of the story though, audiences hold responsible the janitor for our company because he knew about it and didn't do anything. And he was the only one who knew about it and didn't do anything. And suddenly the audience, the, the audience is, is, is totally upset with at the janitor because 
he knew and he didn't do anything. He could have stopped it all. So there's this character that we we think had the power to make the okay. story come out right. They can exercise it or not exercise it, but it's a very important position because that climax character is the one who's responsible to act. And then the question is, one other character, question is, who will my target audience identify with? Hmm. Who will they care about most in the story? It's really bad if your target audience cares about some side character in the story who has nothing to do with the message that you want to get across. Yeah. So yeah. we have those four character positions that are all characters, and we use the second of the, of the eight elements, the character traits, or just information about the characters, to induce our target audience to look at the, at the characters in the story the way we want them to, and in their minds, assign the story characters into those character positions as we would like them to. Mm. In other words, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. They're going to say, oh, I think this is the main character. Oh, this is the character I care about. Here's the character I think has the power and responsible. Here's the antagonist. But we want to control the way they do that so they'll look at the story the way we want them to. So we're talking to you about using story science to design and construct stories that will induce our target audiences to react to the stories the way we want them to. Yeah, so that, because it's that character character trait. What's a goal? Yeah, a goal. Happiness is a terrible goal. <laughs> World <laughs> peace is a terrible goal. You know why? No one knows what they look like. Really? Okay. To be an effective goal, it has to be something that is real and tangible so that everyone can visualize it. Okay. Um, if you've ever read the, the Lord of the Rings, you know, the, that series of books. Watch the right? movies only. Okay. Movies, same thing. Um, it really, it's about ultimate good and ultimate evil. Mm. The, 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 the seemingly powerless ultimate good, the little hobbits, and the ultimate evil, the, this wicked, all-powerful Lord. But because those are such amorphous, hard-to-define entities, what the story is about is throwing this little ring, this magical ring, into the fiery pits of Mount Doom in the middle of the land of Mordor. He, he the author, in order to talk about ultimate good and ultimate evil, created a goal that's a physical thing. And okay. any moment in that book, you can think, who has the ring and how close are they to Mount Doom in the middle of the land of Mordor and what still stands between them? So a goal to be effective has to be something every person can visualize, can yeah. see in their minds, and will all do the same thing. Tangible, okay. real. Motive. Here. Motive. This is the one, one of the ones that is so consistently and grossly underrated. Oh my goodness. Motive is the information that explains why a goal is important. Yeah. This is where values, beliefs, attitudes, cultural norms, um, my wants, desires, problems all come in. They come in as motives, drivers. What we found in the lab was that if I want someone to identify with a if I want my target audience to identify with a character in a story, the, the single element that will make that happen best is motive. It's called motive matching. Okay. If I show you that the motives of my character, the beliefs, attitudes, drivers, what they, what they believe in, what they feel, what their value, if it's the same as, as yours, 
you'll identify with that character every time. And without even knowing it, you'll start to adopt their attitudes, their viewpoints, their beliefs as expressed in the story. Yeah. It's incredibly powerful. It is the way that you get your target audiences to start to think and act the way you want them to is by inducing some motive match with the story character. Um, so motives, one of those things that most companies forget to mention when they're working yeah. on their stories. They might say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we want to do. But they don't really talk about what's underneath and behind it in terms that will induce their target audience to buy in to the whole action, to the, to the, to the goal and to the actions to get there. So yeah. goal and motive. Yeah. Then we have to know well, why hasn't the character already achieved their goal? Yep. There has to be something that stands between them and their goal. Problems and conflicts. Ob general term, obstacles. A, a conflict is something that involves direct opposition to some other entity in the story. A problem is something like, um, I want to go to the store and the store is two blocks away. Well, two blocks away, technically, is a problem. Why? Because yep. in this moment, it's keeping me from being at the store. Okay. Yep. Problems can be simple. They can be incredibly complex and, and, and almost impossible to overcome. We generally speaking uh, are more engaged by or more easily engaged by conflicts than by problems. It's not a, it's not a sure thing. Uh, the reason is that conflicts more easily create what creates excitement, what controls tension in the story. And as the saying is, as goes tension, so goes attention. Yeah, that one is a big one. As goes tension, so, go, goes, so attention. goes attention. That is a big yeah. one. Uh, and, and so there is always tension in, in, in a story. There has to be something we have to have. We have to be worried about, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Or how are they going to get that? How are they going to get that? There has to be some story question that is on our minds that creates some attention in order to hold us, hold our attention and keep us engaged. Um, the thing that does that is risk and danger. Mm. Two separate, very tightly related elements. Risk is the likelihood that something's going to go wrong. The probability mm -hmm. of failure. Danger is what happens to a character if something goes wrong. It's the okay. consequences of failure. Mm. At every moment, we as human beings are taught almost from birth to be aware of risk and danger. You stand on a street corner, you look both ways. Why? you want to reduce the risk of getting flattened by a, by a, a huge delivery truck that's, that's zipping down the road at, at you know 80 kilometers an hour right yeah if you don't if so if you see one you think uh, the likelihood of me getting flattened here and dying on the street is pretty high so i'll <laughs> wait on the curb yeah it doesn't change the danger it reduces the risk what we find is that mathematically yeah, and I, don't, I won't go into math a lot as we talk today, but this is one that just blew my mind. If you put risk and danger on scales of zero to one, 
moment to moment and calculate them and multiply them together, risk times danger, that product and, and graph that product, it tracks exactly with engagement and with tension in a story for target audiences. Wow, okay. Uh, and the cool news is at any moment, at any moment, even improvisationally in a presentation, if you think okay. you're starting to lose the audience, all you have to do is remind them of what could go wrong, what's at risk here, and how likely it is that something could go wrong. <laughs> That's a very interesting one. Those, those, those elements are always there. I mean, think of, the, think of creating a vaccine for coronavirus. Yeah. Well, the, the, the risk of coming in second in, the, in that, that race uh, is, is incredible because if you come in second, no one's going to buy your vaccine. They're all going to buy somebody else's vaccine, right? Yeah. And the likelihood that a vaccine in trial succeeds isn't that great. So there's great risk. There's incredible tension because you, because it's, you have to try to not only make yours work, but make it work first. Um, there, and all, if you were doing the story of the process and, and, you know, and, and you're telling people about 50 million beakers that are sitting in, in a lab somewhere and you're dapping little bits of, of reagent into those different labs and seeing what happens and, and you're, you're bringing in a thousand of people and shooting them in the arm and then watching them for a month and it all sounds very technical and very boring and you're starting to lose the audience and you go back and talk about how dangerous it is and yet what's the reward so what's the goal what's the goal what's what are the risks and the dangers and all of a sudden they're back the audience is back these are incredibly powerful tools risk and danger that are at your disposal every moment of a, of a, of a thing that you produce, of a, of a talk that you're giving, to hold the audience in your hands. And most people never stop to think about it. So yep. problems and conflicts create risk and danger. Yeah. And then we want to know, and notice we haven't talked about events in the story yet or plot at all. Yeah. Yeah. Stories are not plot driven. Plot exists to explain character. Yeah, that's why you have a plot. So finally, we get to some that where the plot comes in, and that is to say, we want to know what, how does the character struggle? No, okay. that is to say, what are they going to do to try to overcome problems and conflicts, facing risk and danger, to get to a goal that's important to them? Yeah, that's number seven. Number eight, then, are the details. Why? What? What do we mean by details? Well. The only way you've gotten information about the world for all your life is by using your sensory organs. Yeah. Eyes, ears, touch, you know, the, the five senses. Five, yeah. Right? Your brain is set to use that information. It knows exactly how to create mental imagery from it, store that into memory, and pull it back out of memory. Yeah. Details are the written or spoken version of the sensory information that you would get on your own if you were there, wherever there yeah. is in the story. Yeah. So what will we talk about details? What are we talking about? What does it look like, feel like, sound like, smell like? If you were there, what, what, what would your senses be telling you? Yeah. If you provide that information, every human being 
the brain of every human being knows exactly what to do with that information to create vivid mental imagery that then goes into memory in such a way so that they're able to dredge it back out of memory again. Most things, yeah. by the way, that go into your memory never come back out. <laughs> yeah. So the question is, there, there's a direct correlation between in the, in, the, in the research. This isn't this is this it really isn't mine. Other people have done this research. There's a direct correlation between the density of sensory detail okay. for a memory when it goes into mem into memory for an image when it goes into memory and the likelihood that you'll be able to ever pull it back out of memory and that when you pull it back out it'll come out accurately it won't be significantly changed or altered so wow. the more detail you can provide when you do your stories the more the information associated with those images will go into people's memory in such a way so that they'll accurately be able to recall it at some time in the future when that information could affect their decisions, could affect their behavior. Yeah, that by itself, we can stop here <laughs> and that by itself will be crazy. However, I think that in order for us to kind of complete the picture, you started at the beginning with the fact that if we don't cover those elements, our brain is wired to search for those elements. And we, when we consume some consume something through our visual sense, let's say, it first goes to our unconscious and it applies in the book you called it uh, um, a story structure right and in, in this process it search for those searches for those elements like can you just and and you also mentioned here a few moments ago that when those type of things are missing those elements are missing people on the other end potentially in the context of this podcast our audiences may get the story in a different way than they are supposed to. Mm -hmm. So it is obviously very critical for us to try and incorporate information for all of those elements. Otherwise, we are risking the effectiveness. And maybe that's why you said effective right. story. Sorry. Yeah, so like what's happening behind the scenes? Like, Okay, L let me give you an example, a real simple example. Yeah, yeah. Um, person number one says, where's John? Person number two says, well, I didn't want to say anything, but I saw a green VW parked in front of Carol's. Again, first number one, where's John? First number two, well, I didn't want to say anything, but I saw a green VW parked in front of Carol's. Now the question is, if you, given that those two lines, what's going on here and what's the relationship between the four humans who are mentioned? Person number one who speaks, person number two who speaks, someone named John who's spoken about, and someone named Carol who's spoken about. Mm. The odds are, uh, and this is just from my, the, the number of times I've tested with lines like that, that line or others like it. Um, 98 out of 100 people, as soon as they heard it, would have inferred, would have been able to say what the relationship, who person number one probably is, who person number two probably is, the relationship between John and Carol. Why? Because in order to make sense out of it, and you yeah. assumed, that it would have to make sense because I just someone just gave it to you. In order to make sense out of it, you had to fill in a number of blanks. Yeah. Well, gonna, and you do that automatically without consciously knowing it, okay? First, you probably didn't stop and think about it, but you took one of the lines from person number two and in order to make it make sense, completely flipped the meaning. Okay. They said, person number two said, well, I didn't wanna say anything. 
butt. And you probably flipped it in your mind to, to, you know, <laughs> to mean it. In effect, oh boy, this is the best gossip I've had in weeks. Can't wait to blurt this one out. <laughs> okay. Second, person number two was asked about a person, John, yeah. and talks about a car. Yeah. There is no relationship between the two. But you Except it. in order to make sense out of it, every person who's ever heard that assumes that John and a green VW have to be linked. Yeah. And it's his car. But it doesn't say that. You That's assumed true. it. Yeah. You also assumed, because it wouldn't make sense otherwise, that person number one, person number two are physically co-located. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. But it doesn't true. actually say that. You know, we all know that that you know, intelligence groups like the CIA and, and all those kind of people, they're monitoring worldwide communications. And this could just be two sequential lines on their daily feed. And person number one could have been in, in Berlin. And person number two could have been in Taiwan. And they have absolutely no relationship to each other. But you didn't give your chance, yourself a chance to even consider that possibility because you had to make it make sense. And yeah. so you assumed John has a green VW and went to Carol's, but probably shouldn't have gone to Carol's because <laughs> yeah. person number one won't like hearing that John went to Carol. You assume character, goal, motive. You assumed all of those elements in order to make it make sense. Yeah. And you do it automatically. And once you've done it, you don't stop and say, well, I made up these assumptions. I should test those assumptions. Yeah, you just say, that's oh, that's what it means and go with it. So exactly. Yeah. When, when a company is trying to communicate, the people listening won't say, um, excuse me, there's some of those elements missing. I, I, could you fill those in, please? No, they'll infer them on their own and assume without ever stopping to think about it, that what they're thinking is exactly what was really meant, even though yeah. in many cases it isn't. It's not. Yeah. And that's why these elements are so worthwhile to consider. It's because without them, the probability that people will misinterpret your communication skyrocket. Yeah, that is when I read very similar example in one of the in story proof and then i watched another interview with you somewhere on another podcast or something you gave a similar example and i again paused and i was like wait so i already drew those conclusions and i really think i get i got the picture right and then i unpaused and then you said maybe you inferred this and this and this and this but i didn't say it so why is that happening and i was like pause again and i was like Wow, that is very interesting. And then when you apply it in the context of the presentations and you miss that information, here you have the problem. Many people don't include those elements and then the audience understands a completely different message. Or the other option or, the audience has is to tune out. Yeah, and when it's very... They always have that option is to, lose, is to lose engagement. When do they tune out? Um, when do they tune out? A, a good question. It, uh, usually... There are a number of things that make them tune out. Okay. Some have to do with the material. A lot have to do with the present presentation of it. Okay. Vocal yeah. characteristics, vocal patterns, um, the physical presence of the person who's doing the presentation. Okay. Whether they think if, if you know, the, of course, anytime a presenter actually try, tries to read their presentation. <laughs> that's excuse to I'll just get the transcripts from the conference and I'm and, and I'm out of here here yeah and mentally most of the audience is then gone i i think that also something somewhere in the book you also mentioned that 
when the presenter, when you said the vocal part right now, I connected to what you said in the book that when, and I can relate to that so badly. And I believe everyone in the audience can relate to this is that when the presenter speaks or presents the information in a way that the audience does not understand and it gets so complicated mm. because we cannot make sense of that com complicated information, it's now way too much effort for our brain. And yeah. at some point, our brain just says, enough. Cognitive overload. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, when you read something that someone wrote, an article, uh, an mm. essay, a story, yeah. you are in full control of your experience of that material. Okay. You want to read slower? You read slower. You want to read faster? You read faster. You want to skim for a couple of paragraphs? You skim. You want to stop and go into the kitchen and get something to drink and come back and sit, squirm in your chair yep. and, and mull stuff over for a minute? You do. So a writer can be a little less straightforward because they know that the reader is in full control of their experience of receiving the information. Mm, Not okay. so in a presentation. <laughs> A storyteller, a presenter, is in full and complete control of the audience's experience. If they yeah. need to have something repeated, tough luck to them unless the presenter repeats it. If they yep. need more detail, they're out of luck unless the presenter decides to include, include more detail, which yeah. means that a, a live presenter has a much greater responsibility to the audience to make sure that they don't get lost than a writer does. And often wow. when we're doing presentations, we write it down as, as if, and look at it as if it were going to be read by the audience and then stand up to present it and they get the audience gets lost because yeah. presenters need to use shorter, simpler sentences. They need to use more, uh, greater use of repetition. They need to put in a lot more guideposts, signposts along the way. Little yeah. reminders where we've been, where, we're, where we are, where we're going, so that the audience can place themselves within the context of the whole piece. Yeah. When you're reading, you know how many pages this thing is. And if you're on page three of 12 pages, you sort of have some expectations for what you're going to find on page three, just because of where it is within right that, whole, that, that whole body of information. Mm. And in, in a presentation, you don't have a clue. So the presenter has to provide those things. So it's much, uh, much more common for people to lose engagement, get, get, say, I, I'm, wait a minute, I'm confused. I don't know where we are anymore in a live presentation and then tune out. Yeah. Then, okay. then when they're reading. So uh, huh. presenters have this incredible responsibility to always be monitoring the audience and make sure that the audience gets what they need in order to understand the presentation. Even if it means they've got to do a little improvising, backtracking, repeating, you know, stopping saying, did you get that part? Did, did you get that part? That was important. Let's go over it again. Yeah. Uh, whatever you have to do to make sure, because the only thing that matters is what gets into the conscious mind and memory of your audience. Mm. Nothing else matters. Yeah. That's where the story happens. So you, the presenter, have to do whatever you have to do to make sure that your material actually gets there. It doesn't matter if you say it all came out my mouth. It was all on the slides. That doesn't matter 
unless it also gets into the conscious mind and memory of your audience. And that's a very different question because it requires, that's where the story science and the story elements come in is making sure that your information actually gets into your target, which is conscious mind and memory of your audience. Yeah. Okay. Let's end up with this. Where and what, because I will be, I would say everything. So that's why probably you navigate me better. Where can people find more about that thing, except for obviously April, when we are going to be at the conference, at the virtual conference we are organizing? Where should people find more about story, the elements, and everything that you produced and well, all of your work? First off, they call you and uh, talk to the 356 <laughs> Lab, you know, and um, website www.kendallhaven.com. Easy. And the two, the two books that cover this what we've talked about and and, and yeah. more first is you mentioned it story proof yes. there's a long subtitle but story proof is enough yes. to get there the second the follow-on to that is story smart um and so the story smart is talks more about the experiments that done in the lab and what you know what that what that meant and what and actually what may well come out as the the third book in the series which will be the story effect hopefully so is is now it it's now the research is done the thing is there i haven't started writing it and I, I haven't decided if that's really how it's supposed how it should come out now but those two books story smart story proof are the two that for my work that really sum up all that we've talked about today yeah i would say that when i got story proof a lot of my friends actually already got it so uh, when i got story proof i was a little bit surprised by the size of it. And I was like, hmm, it looks like a, like a book from a school. Like, it's not that thick. I expected it's going to be like really thick. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And then I started reading it and I realized on the first pages, that will be probably one of the most interesting books ever. And every single time when somebody buys it or decides to buy it, I always warn them, don't get confused by the size of the book because you may end up being <laughs> presently surprised by what's in that small form factor, if you wish. Because again, mm-hmm. I cannot, like from our experience, I cannot just say how much that book is really worth of reading and not only by, I would say, presentation people, by but by people who care about communication. Right? That's really what it's about. It. It turns out that the elements of story structure control communication between people yeah. because yeah. it stands between the outside world and the conscious mind. Everything that gets to your conscious mind filters through these story elements and the story structure. So to get your thoughts, I don't care how you're getting them across to someone, presentation, article, video, anything gets into the conscious mind in story form. The more you're aware of it, the more effective your communications will be, What, yeah. however you get them across. Yeah. And at the conference and at the workshop, you also promised that you are going to mention some new things that are oh, not part yeah. of those books. So Absolute, Absolutely. We uh, I will, I guarantee <laughs> we will, we'll get into some things that will just blow your mind uh, yeah. from when we can show how, how things couple together and how they, and how they work. And how simple it is. Uh, one more quick example. Yeah, let's uh, go. One more. I, this, uh, the topic, 
you probably have heard things like you only get one chance to make a good first impression. Yes. Those yeah. sorts of lines. Well, it turns out that when we, when I was tested, when I've started to test that sort of a thing, okay. given the first sentence of a story, almost every person I have ever tested was able, having heard just that one sentence, to okay. say who they thought this was going to be about, what they thought it was going to be about, and how they wanted it to end, and how they thought it was probably going to end. Wow. And more importantly, often that information isn't in the first sentence, right? Mm, yeah. But more importantly, once they created that that version in their mind of the structure of this 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 piece, they were very reticent to ever change. And in fact, resisted changing and got angry both at me and at the story if as it when it when it became obvious that actually that first structure that they had in their minds was wrong. Hmm. They started to lose engagement, which means that the, the idea of slowly rolling into your, especially in a presentation, especially yeah. in a short, fairly short article of kind of rolling into your information, giving a little background information is deadly. Mm. You, you want to jump straight into what's wh wh grab people and, and shake them up a little bit on the right at the get go and let them know where they're going and that where you want to take them is important to them. Yeah. Do that. And then you have the, then, then you have both their attention that you're, they're engaged and you also then have the, have the option to fill in and, and um, build that presentation. But if you get them off on the wrong thinking the wrong way at the opening the beginning the odds are you you've lost them forever wow that also makes so sense we'll talk we'll mind. talk about those elements then we'll talk about what exactly are the pieces of information that audiences use to figure out who it's about what it's about where it's going how i want it to where i want it to end yeah. uh, and how to how to use those expectations to your own purposes as you build in and put in some foreshadowing in a talk. I also, by the way, that is completely honest now. And I'll end up with this. First of all, I will be moderating the workshop that is guaranteed. And the reason is completely selfish. <laughs> As you can imagine, it's completely selfish because I want to get involved in that workshop and that kind of not only to help with the questions of the audience of the those 15 people that will be in, but just for myself to kind of check up like my understanding on some things and for sure learn those things that you just mentioned because I personally haven't heard about them since now. So that will be for sure something interesting um, to listen to and kind of again rethink in our communication what we do and how we do it, etc. So let's end up here because there is just so much. I believe that someone who is going to listen to this needs to listen to it a few times for sure. I really want to end it now and everything else will come up again in the books at the event find candle heaven absolutely yeah and read consume absolutely everything so i cannot thank you enough for spending this one oh. hour here oh thank you it was a delight the and i'm looking forward to both the april and to our yeah. next conversation absolutely so for everyone else you know where to find the information you know where to find the books it's very, very simple. And if you want to know more about the event, it's called Present to Succeed. So you can check it out at presenttosucceed.com. And if you want to find more about 
our company it's not 365 laps as many people think five three fifty six laps so thank you very much for listening to this one and see you in the next one <laughs>